Annenberg Media. This is the Annenberg Learner Podcast, where we aim to elevate the education profession through conversations that inspire, recognize, and encourage innovation and best practices in the field. We track the lived experience of teachers, students, and parents alongside the ecosystem that serves them. Guest speakers will share what's working and the steps we can take to reimagine and redesign teaching and learning for our most vulnerable populations. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Annenberg Learner Podcast. This episode is part of a Teacher of the Year series where we interview innovative teachers in the field. The Teachers of the Year program recognizes excellence in teaching across the nation, and the process begins at the school level with teachers being nominated or chosen by their colleagues. One is chosen to represent his or her school district, and they then go on to compete at the state and national levels. Today, we welcome Mr. William Morejon. William Morejon earned a BS in Biological Engineering from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology and a Master's of Education from the University of Southern California, and currently serves as chair of the Department of Mathematics at Hawthorne High School. After inspiring undergraduate teaching experiences abroad in Africa and Asia, he felt a calling to return to his alma mater and serve the community where he has taught for the past nine years. Recently, he has coordinated summer professional development opportunities with the district math leadership team, and other teacher leaders to focus on strengthening the district's newly adopted integrated mathematics pathway through the use of rigorous mathematical tasks. As an educator, he has developed practices that support differentiated instruction for both intervention and honor student populations. After teaching in the International Baccalaureate and now the Advanced Placement Program, he began exploring ways for mathematics to become a more student-centered discipline and is a big proponent of exploration and self-discovery through the use of concept lessons and technology in the classroom. As a current member of Stanford's Holy Hawk Fellowship for Teachers, he values the power of collaborative networks of educators to yield quality instructional practices aimed at student-centered tasks and higher-level questioning in the classroom. He co-presented a workshop on sense-making routines at the UCLA Curtis Center of Mathematics and Teaching Conference. Welcome, William. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you so much. It's an honor to have you on our uh, podcast today, and we're excited to learn more about your work and all of your accomplishments. Can you tell us about your work and why you were selected as a Teacher of the Year? Sure. So I feel like describing my work could be very simple or very complicated. As you mentioned in the bio, um, I work currently at my um, own high school where I graduated from in 2007. So we're about 15 years out. You know, to people who know education or to people who are familiar with education, you know, I also see myself as like an inspirer, a mentor, a colleague, you know, like there's so many roles that I play on, on our campus. First and foremost, I'm a teacher in the classroom, I'm spending about three quarters, you know, 80% of my day working with students. Specifically, my content area is math. Um, so, you know, I'm taking students and actually have all grade levels this year and just getting them to understand math and its beauty and like 
I, you know, I know the students have a love hate relationship sometimes with mathematics. And so we try to make it fun and engaging and like, get them to critically think and overcome kind of like the fear that they had in middle school, or like it's hard and get them to believe in themselves. And then you also mentioned uh, one of the other hats being department chair. So I'm kind of like the liaison between my teachers, all the math teachers at my site, the district leadership, if we want to adopt a new curriculum, you know, we coordinate meetings for that. If we want to adopt a new textbook, we do pilots. Um, I'm also the advisor of two clubs on our campus. So um, I advise uh, Key Club, which is sponsored through Kiwanis. It's a very popular, you know, uh, community service group uh, in society. Um, and so we do a lot of community service outreach in, in the local area. And then I also am the advisor for a club called uh, Academic Decathlon, which is a scholastic competition every year. Um, and then to answer your question about why was I selected as Teacher of the Year, I feel like I work with so many passionate, uh, hardworking educators. Like I'm still like me, really, like I was chosen. But I really think that, you know, kudos to my colleagues and, and the students. You mentioned that it starts at the school site. And, um, you know, our principals threw out an email just saying, hey, anybody that you want to nominate? And I guess my colleagues nominated me. Um, and then we went from there. Um, I guess they saw value in all the work that I do on my campus. So I'm very appreciative for, you know, them being able to recognize us. You can subscribe to the Annenberg Learner podcast on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, you mentioned your philosophy of teaching. Can you speak to that? So obviously, when a teacher comes into the classroom, you know, like we have this, I don't know if I want to say like, just this elementary idea of like what it's going to be, right? Like I come in, I walk in, kids walk in, I write some stuff on the board, you know, whatever, right? But as you become a seasoned veteran teacher, you also develop this, like, why do I do this every day? What is my long term goal? Like, why am I investing in these students? Like, where, where are they headed in 5, 10, 15 years, right? This actually kind of goes back to my first few years teaching. I was working with a group of kids, which we called it at the time. It doesn't exist anymore, but we called it Cougar Academy. And it was specifically students that were in need of high intervention, meaning they were probably failing multiple classes, they had behavior issues, they just, you know, school wasn't their thing, they had other priorities, they were, you know, whatever it may be. So we identified a, a, a good group of at risk students. And then we identified teachers that were like, we're gonna sit here, we're gonna form a group, we're gonna work together. And we're going to do every intervention possible to try to make sure these kids experience success. And at that time, I was like, you know what, I have to be more than just my content. Yeah, I'm a math teacher, but I have to realize that these students are more than just paper and pencils and tests and quizzes. So through that experience, I realized, hey, a lot of my students have a lot going on outside of school. And so, you know, I think at that time, my pedagogy kind of evolved from, hey, I'm a math teacher, but I'm also like, a mentor and you know like a person that will hear you out like a, even sometimes a counselor a coach uh, you know all those roles that young students need in their lives especially if you know they're lacking a lot of that oversight and guidance outside of the classroom so I would describe my teaching pedagogy as twofold you know obviously like I mentioned earlier I, I want to acknowledge and be very honest with the students like I know that you know students go into middle school and like that's where they start developing this like math isn't as fun as I wanted it to be, or math isn't the most exciting subject anymore. So like in, in high school, I'm trying to reinvigorate that passion, that love, that excitement. But I also try to explain to the students that mathematics is an exercise in training your brain as well. And I often tell them that a lot of times the reason why they fear math is because it's the one that they're exercising their brain the most at, right? It's like the heaviest weight at the gym. <laughs> it's the one that's hardest to lift. You know, you're always like, why do I ever need this? Why do I ever need this? 
And it's like, you know, I tell them, this is the subject that like later on, you're going to wish you had these analytical skills. You're going to wish that you, especially now when um, everything is numbers and charts and graphs and figures and stocks and like rising and falling, you know, like uh, there's so much data around us um, that I want the students to be savvy consumers of, of that data. So um, there's that. And then there's also the humanizing component, right? Like whether you're an A++ student or you're failing the class, like, I don't judge you based off what your grade is. I don't judge you based off your performance. Like we can have a positive working relationship aside from what, you know, your, what might be influencing your academic performance in the classroom. Yeah. I love the analogy and what a gift it is to have a teacher like you in math, because you're right. A lot of students are very disillusioned by, by the time they get to high school. We read that this is the high school that you graduated from. How has that impacted your experience with students and even with your colleagues? It's definitely been interesting. I'll say that. And obviously, when I decided to come into education, you know, there were a lot of options, especially now, you know, I'm sure everyone knows there's like teacher shortages and schools are like dying to get teachers. And, you know, I definitely had options in terms of like, you know, where I could have applied or where I could have worked. But, you know, honestly, when I was deciding to go into education, it was kind of a no brainer. I was, was a product of this school. You know, I understood that it was a school that was in need, right? Like a school that's like, you know, I knew that I didn't want to work in a school where there was a lot of resources already. I really wanted to target groups that like needed assistance, needed somebody to really focus on them, needed somebody to care. Um, and I knew obviously coming from this community that that was my school. I remember after uh, undergrad, I reached out to the principal at the time. And I, you know, I just told them, hey, I'm just putting my name out there. I'm an alumni. I'm looking into, you know, to come into education, specifically math. And, you know, I graduated from here, got my engineering degree. He was like, yeah, we need math teachers. Like, yeah. come on, please. <laughs> like, that's the one area that we're always like losing teachers. We need them. That's when I enrolled in my um, uh, ma master's program to get my credential and my master's. And, you know, it was just an easy transition. I did my student teaching here. Um, and then, you know, it is kind of interesting because my first few years, I did work with a lot of my um, former teachers, right? And it was kind of interesting because, you know, I spent four or five years calling them Mr. So-and-so, Miss, and I still can't break that habit. Like, they, they get annoyed because they're like, we're colleagues now. You can call me by my first name. And I'm like, no, but like, you've always been, you know, Miss. So that's kind of interesting. But I also think that it gives me a very interesting, like, respect with the kids because, you know, oftentimes they look at me and they're like, why are you here? Like, you could be so, like, you know, you're accomplished, you have a, you know, a quality high education, um, you, you know, you have a bachelor's and master's degree, like they don't really equate with like, why would somebody with that much education come back into high school and like work with me, right? You know, I do often have to justify my decisions to the kids. And I do often have to say, you know, I'm here because well, a, you know, I, I often tell them, like, I make a joke, I'm like, so would you rather you have somebody that doesn't care about their subject, somebody that doesn't want to be here, somebody that, you know, somebody that's less qualified, you know, um, and then they're like, Oh, yeah, you're right, you're right. Like, I, you know, I definitely want somebody that's, you know, invested and cares and wants to be here. It's interesting to see how uh, the, the dynamics of a school changed so drastically, right? Even in just a, a short period. Um, this is my 10th year in the classroom and it's, it's just flown, you know, like it's so different than what it was 10, 15 years ago. So yeah, that's a little bit about what it's like um, working at, at the school that I graduated from. Thank you. It makes me wonder how we could get more teachers to return to their schools, right? Like what, what would that look like if leadership and principals were really actively trying to recruit their own graduates? And I'm sure you're getting students excited about math in a way that they aren't typically excited about being a classroom teacher. 
As part of its mission to advance excellent teaching in American schools, Annenberg Learner funds and distributes educational video programs with coordinated online and print materials for the professional development of K-12 teachers. Many programs are also intended for students in the classroom and viewers at home with videos that exemplify excellent teaching. K-12 educators, students, and lifelong learners may access Annenberg Learner resources for free at learner.org. Please note, rights restrictions may limit the availability of some series. For the latest information about learner programming and availability, sign up for the Annenberg Learner Newsletter at learner.org. I'm curious about integrated math. I don't believe it's very common across the country, and I'm curious what that is and why integrated math. So this is actually something that I had to learn over the course of the last 10 years or so. And I started teaching around 2012, 2013, and the word integrated was like on nobody's radar. To summarize integrated in a nutshell, essentially the logic behind it is people noticed is that students were taking a year of algebra, and then they were taking geometry and then following it with another year of algebra. And so there was gaps. So people were noticing, hey, students are kind of like forgetting their algebra from ninth grade year because their geometry class is focused more on like shapes and area and volume and circle. And so students were like struggling when they got to their third year of math because they didn't always remember or see how the two were linked. There was definitely a need for that. And then the third thing that people noticed was yeah, calculus is cool. And don't get me wrong. I love me some calculus. I teach it, you know, like I love it. But you know, it's not that's not everybody's pathway, right? Like some people are going to go more on a statistical path or more on a data driven path or a computer science path. Pretty much about six or seven years ago, you know, I don't I can't really speak to who it was like, I don't know their name, a group of, you know, people who develop curriculum said, what if we integrate the pathways? So what if we take uh, the elementary parts of algebra one, the elementary parts of geometry and the elementary parts of statistics and merge them into one class. And we call that integrated math one. Then we take the intermediate parts of algebra, the intermediate parts of geometry and the intermediate parts of statistics and probability. And we merge that into one class and call it integrated math two. And then we take the advanced topics in algebra, the advanced topics in geometry, and the advanced topics in statistics and probability, and we merge that into a class called Integrated Math 3. It's not different in terms of the standards that are taught, it's just different in terms of the order that they're taught. The, the other reason it's called Integrated is because we want the algebra, geometry, and statistics to work together so that the students don't see them as isolated curriculum, but unified joined curriculum. So our district over the past six, seven years has really kind of championed this adoption, I guess, of these integrated math curriculum standards. And you mentioned earlier, we do a lot of summer PD around this, we get all of our teachers to meet in the summer to reflect on what's going well in these courses, what could be improved in these courses, we make uh, curricular changes all the time, we call the algebra two path, we call it traditional. And then this new path is integrated, right? But integrated only goes up to integrated three. But I will also say too, that because of our adoption of integrated math, we have also been able to offer some cool courses to our students. For mm -hmm. example, we offer a class in advanced algebra with financial applications. Um, we also have a class that focuses on sports statistics. We also have a class on, it's called Introduction to Data Science. I feel like the adoption to integrated has opened people's eyes to, hey, there's more pathways for math than just you know, what has been algebra one, algebra two, pre -cat. like everyone was on this one track path. Now it's like it's linear for a bit. And then it diverges and it becomes different things. So I like that because we can offer a lot of variety to our students. Yeah, I love this menu of options. I want to take these classes. Yeah, come by. <laughs>
The Annenberg Foundation is a family foundation that provides funding and support to nonprofit organizations in the U.S. and globally. The foundation is dedicated to addressing the critical issues of our time through innovation, community, compassion, and communication. To learn more, go to annenberg.org. I'm curious, how is math done internationally? I know you had some experience teaching abroad. Uh, was it in math, and how does that compare to the U.S. traditional math? Good question. You're correct. I did have um, a good chunk of teaching experience abroad in undergrad. It was just one of those things where, you know, there was an office looking for people to travel. And I was like, I have nothing better to do. Like, <laughs> sure, I'll go. And a couple of experiences that come to mind. I remember the first place I actually went was mainland China, kind of like a southern part near Hong Kong city called Shenzhen. The only like the reason why I went there is because they wanted um, teachers to teach leadership. What they realized is that um, a lot of the students were really good at the textbook, but they didn't have like the social skills, the, the idea of serving their community or like interpersonal skills or group dynamics. So that was the first experience that I had abroad. And then that kind of grew a little bit more the following summer. I got invited to go to Rwanda. For that, we actually went to do a um, computer science summer coding workshop that was based on entrepreneurship. So we wanted the students to learn this coding language and then find a need in the community and like merge those. So they had to code something like an app, for example, before apps were super popular. So they were supposed to code an app that would serve some need in the community. Um, but there it was like, you know, even something as simple as um, an app to make an appointment with their doctor, right? Or an app to like... Uh, see if there were homes available for rent or purchase, you know, things like that. Um, there was a very high need for that in, um, in, you know, when I was an undergrad. And I feel like a lot of those experiences too, really motivated me to like pursue and, and maintain my interest in education after under, you know, after I graduated as well. Yes. So that brings me to my, my next question about the Stanford's Hollyhock, am I pronouncing it? Yeah, correct? Hollyhock, yeah, correct, correct. What is your work with the fellowship and what will be the outcome of this experience? Yeah, so the Hollyhock Fellowship was actually something that came under my radar because of a colleague of mine. And the whole purpose of the fellowship is to take not like necessarily early, early career teachers, although you can be anywhere between like, I think year one and year eight, and they want to create this network. And so the whole purpose is to actually just kind of take a step back and reflect on your identity as a teacher, your pedagogy in the classroom, and also to create this network where a teacher might be in Chicago or Florida or, you know, anywhere else in the U.S. that we can also get a window into their classroom as well. So the structure of the fellowship was we had some summer professional development and it was perfect timing because we got accepted to the fellowship in February or, or like early March 2020. And then all of a sudden, COVID. And so I felt like I got thrown into the trenches because I had no idea what teaching online was going to be like. I had no idea, like all the strategies and things that I had developed in my first six, seven years teaching were like going down the drain. And so it was perfect timing. I feel like even a blessing because going into that, I was like, what are teachers doing? Like, how are teachers functioning online? Like, what are best practices? Like, you know, we throw on these words like best practices and there were no best practices for online teaching, Right. And so when we joined the fellowship, it was perfect because they modeled a lot of the strategies that really carried me throughout online instruction. Essentially, it was a two-year fellowship. So we did like a summer and then they have online coaching throughout the school year. So we have like a designated like uh, staff member from the fellowship and they are kind of like our coaches. So we would share these artifacts of our teaching. And last year, especially, I did record a good chunk of my lessons 
And then I would share them with these teachers. And it was cool because they would, we would watch each other's videos and give just genuine, honest feedback, right? And it was like not, it was non-threatening. It was like, hey, we're both being vulnerable right now. All three of us are being vulnerable right now. And just like, how can we make our pedagogy better? And I feel like it gave me kind of like that fuel to, you know, fuel the next, say, five, six years of my teaching, maybe next decade of my teaching. Because I'm like, okay, now I, I'm not burned out. And, I, you know, I know that other teachers are experiencing the same kind of trauma that I am. Um, and I know that they're struggling too to like get their kids to participate and be invested in lessons. It was a really, really cool experience. And it culminated actually this past summer. We all, so we had all been doing this virtually and we got the opportunity to go as a full cohort. I want to say 30, 40, maybe even 50 teachers that went to Stanford University this past summer. And we did all these workshops around our pedagogy, reflecting on our identities as educators, uh, bonding with each other. So yeah, I felt like I came into this year super motivated, super, you know, the tank was full and like, you know, I, I knew exactly why I was doing this. And one tip I would give to any, you know, maybe young educators that are listening is look into that fellowship and give it a shot. Because if you're kind of lost in terms of your professional identity, that's a really good program that helps you kind of realign yourself and figure out who you are. Thank you. There's a lot of great information you've shared for our listeners who range in their experience as educators. I'm curious, where do you see yourself in, in five years? I feel like I'm riding a high on my professionalism right now, especially mm -hmm. with all the recognition with, you know, teacher of the year and everybody's like, congrats, congrats. Everybody's, you know, like, you're it right now, you know, like, yeah. Um, and I think that that definitely is a, a, a large source of uh, the motivation, you know, this year and, and for the coming years. One goal for myself is I want to branch out beyond my school and district walls. And what I mean by that is I'm really big on like creating teacher networks and like support. And, you know, there's also opportunities to, for example, present at certain conferences and like get the word out to more districts and more teachers, right? So I'd like to kind of sit down and identify certain aspects of my pedagogy that I feel might strengthen other teachers' pedagogy. Uh, maybe if there's certain lessons that I feel are worth, you know, presenting at conferences or sharing with other teachers so that they, you know, that can infiltrate their rooms and influence their students as well. I do have a little bit of experience with that. You mentioned that, you know, I did co-present with another colleague of mine at a UCLA conference. And that was really fun because you kind of take a bird's eye view and you're like, this is who I was. I was this teacher learning how to be a teacher. And I remember doing these cute little activities and having this aha moment of like, I could use this in the classroom. And so I, I feel like that's kind of like my next calling is like, okay, how can I strengthen other teachers and build them up? so that you know, they'll be able to uh, become better teachers in the classrooms themselves. Wallace Annenberg GenSpace is an innovative center for older adults. The vibrant and inclusive community space helps foster creativity, connection, and well-being. For more information, visit genspace.la. So I'm just going to shift gears here a little bit. We'd love to hear about what you're reading, watching, or listening to. So let's see. So fun fact, I really love learning languages, studying languages. And I think that also started from all the traveling that I was talking about earlier. I was supposed to go to Japan. So I'm still hoping to make that a reality soon. So I still um, read a lot of like language books, Japanese, and I took actually a few courses at the community college. So I'm like, trying not to lose it because you know how they say if you don't use it, you lose it. When I just have like pleasure reading, I do a lot of sci-fi like the when the dune movie came out a few months ago i was like i don't want to just watch the movie i want to read it in terms of watching um this is one way that like i i bond with students a lot um i just get their anime recommendations like kids are super into anime right now <laughs> 
wearing like some kind of cartoon or you know figure on their shirt and when I see one that I've never watched before I'll ask the kid like is that worth watching like you know give me like out of 10 like you know am I going to enjoy that one it's like an instant bond with the kids because they've invested so much time watching it and so if I do and I know the story they're like we have automatic conversation like Mm -hmm. like just easy instant connection right all right is there anything else that you would like to share with our learner audience yeah first of all thanks for listening i think i especially want to speak to people who are kind of on the fence about going into education especially with like you know we mentioned the shortage and everything i will admit that this profession is demanding (laughs) i'm not going to lie to you but i also you know find a lot of uh, rewarding aspects of the profession as well and i think if people are out there and they really are passionate about working with students Uh, young minds and at any level it could be kindergarten first grade third grade fifth grade 12th grade whatever right or even college but I just you know want I guess the general population to just really continue to acknowledge teachers for how hard they're working it's like really demanding I know as a society we're we're finding more ways to value teachers but you mentioned this earlier that we don't do it enough and Mm -hmm. you know like I do highly appreciate being recognized as teacher of the year but I also look around at my colleagues every day and I'm like so many more of them deserve the same recognition. You know, for those teachers, especially if people are listening and they know other teachers that are working hard and maybe they weren't, they're not getting a lot of recognition, definitely reach out to them and just validate the work that they're doing. I, I know they will appreciate it. Um, sometimes I get messages from former students and it just makes my day like it'll just instant like full tank, you know, <laughs> like I'm like, okay, I matter. What I do matters. What I say matters. Um, and yeah, just thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate your time and congratulations to you. Thank you. The Annenberg Learner Podcast joins the catalog of multimedia professional learning content to support educators teaching in more effective ways. Annenberg Learner is the education division of the Annenberg Foundation. Learner supports the foundation's mission to encourage the development of more effective ways to share ideas and knowledge. Go to learner.org or contact us at podcast at learner.org.